This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who lives in my home and is the guest always on this podcast. (laughs) Guest, co-host, whatever you want it to be. (laughs) <laughs> it's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Uh, yeah, I meant that toward you. Do, do you want to be considered the always guest or the co-host of Obsessed at this point? <laughs> I like keeping it open. Which am I? <laughs> am I a co-host? Am I a guest? Who am I today? I think you're the permanent guest host. There we go. Yeah. I like that. Perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually start the podcast by asking, how are you? That mm-hmm. that feels almost cruel right now to ask people how they are because <laughs> things are not great right now. Coping. Coping. That is, that's a very great answer. Uh, for people who listen to the podcast regularly, we normally release the episodes on Friday. Our apologies, we did not get an episode out on Friday, so we're recording here on Sunday. Uh, Friday had many adventures in our personal life that made recording difficult. And then, of course, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away and all of the just right now of right now. Uh, so this episode that we had planned to talk about uh, is in, in just hard to avoid. We talk about a lot of different obsessions uh, lately, from like pop culture things we're watching right now, to things we've loved our whole life, to cheese, all of the categories of things. <laughs> uh, we talk a lot about uh, things we're just obsessed with in the moment, and I think one of the things that, that I've been really obsessed with is not only right now, but it's a kind of a specific way of looking at right now, this idea that we are living through history. We're always living through history, right? But in this moment, I feel like there is a large cultural awareness that we are constantly, every day, while trying to keep up our regular lives, also living through just 800 chapters of a history textbook all overlapping on top of one another. It's <laughs> never in my life been so aware that you are living through capital H history right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're that's what we're going to talk about, the idea of living through history, how we perceive it, uh, how we cope with it, all that kind of stuff. Um, just to clarify a little bit more of what I mean, um, like I said, I think we're always living through history. Many of us have lived through big moments of history. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but right now, there's a pandemic, right? Um there's a movement toward full recognition of dealing with the reality of race and the history of race in America and the true possibility of fascism taking hold in America. It's obviously not uh, anything new, fascism in general, but the real stakes for me that if Trump is reelected or if Trump steals the election in any way, democracy as we know it is in dire, dire threat. Um so I want to start, uh, that's kind of what we mean by living through history, all those, <laughs> you know, all those, those three or four things, and then a bunch of other things that are all, you know, related to that. Uh, I want to do a, a quick caveat just about politics, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Um, so I, I've had a couple of um, discussions back and forth, uh, some very civil, some great, uh, some not so civil <laughs> over the last couple of weeks uh, with different listeners to podcasts. Um, and I'm just going to be blatant about my politics. And if you're a listener to Obsessed and you have a different point of view, I always do want to be open to a different point of view. I think that's really, really important. Uh, but I think uh, having a different point of view, that, that conversation sometimes gets um, gets turned around because I want to understand other people's point of view. But sometimes even when I understand that, I'm not going to agree with that. And I also have the 
feeling that if I could sit down with almost any person and we could have an open back and forth conversation, I could understand where that person is coming from. Like what happened in their lives? Why do they believe what they believe? What are their dreams? What are their goals? What are their fears? What are times where the world has really treated them poorly no matter who you are? And I feel like I could have empathy and understanding for any human being. There are policy decisions being made by people like Trump and beliefs being promoted by people like Trump. Of I could try to understand the person who is supporting those beliefs. I cannot agree with those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is a distinction of I have empathy for every human, even humans I deeply, deeply disagree with. But that does not mean that I can agree with specific beliefs. Mm-hmm. And if those perspectives from me uh, are unacceptable to any listener, I believe in freedom of speech, but I don't believe in freedom of consequence from speech. So if you listen to a podcast like this and you disagree with my positions uh, so strongly uh, that there have to be consequences from your perspective of you stop listening, you stop supporting the podcast, uh, you stop following me on social media. I respect that. And I think that is your the appropriate response to if you're listening to something and you disagree. Um, telling me not to talk about my beliefs is not something that is acceptable to me. And, and since this uh, episode is all about politics <laughs> from a certain perspective, I kind of wanted to lay out some of the ways that I think about it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, if you want to share any? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a great, um, I'm not even going to call it a caveat, I, a great um, opening statement. And to me, I really like the distinction of that there are beliefs and there are people and people hold beliefs, but it doesn't mean that the beliefs are the entirety of the person. Yeah. And um, and I, I do very much try. I don't always succeed, but I try very much to also understand kind of where people are coming from. And um, I'm thankful to some of my life experiences that have given me that. And I know there's a lot of perspectives that I have no um, perspective for. Yeah. But I'm, I'm always open to learning and uh, feel like learning and understanding and um, hopefully growth is kind of how we uh, achieve humanity, continue to <laughs> continue to um, go on our goal as hopefully becoming better humans throughout our lives. Um, and today part of that discussion is going to be about politics and <laughs> where we are in history and how we feel about it. Yeah, yeah. So kind of to, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I was going to say more, but you know what? <laughs> I'm good uh, because I'm just going to be repeating myself. I said what I said, and if you have a problem with it, I understand, and you should do what you need to do. Uh, So let's get into this. How do you feel about that sort of just big picture idea that we have a divide between reading history as a set story and then realizing we are the story right now? We are making history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, you know, for example, you know, Reading about, uh, you, you know, any moment in history where there is a big uh, reading about World War II, right? Mm-hmm. And and you it, it, you absorb it as a set story with a beginning and middle and an end, right? You read that, well, yeah, the the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and then so as a response, America went to war, and so if you were a young man, for the most part, you signed up for the war, and it's beginning, a middle, and an end, and that's just what <laughs> happened. That's history, and it's also set and locked in place 
that I think uh, sometimes it, it is hard to realize like you're in a moment like that where the nation is going to have a response. You're mm-hmm. going to have a response to what the nation responds. You are the nation. So you get to help resp- decide how the nation responds, all of those things. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that uh, contrast between seeing history versus realizing we're in the middle of the story? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I have for a long time been fascinated uh, with kind of the what it would be like to live during those times of kind of, quote, capitalized big history you know what is what would it have been like to be in um germany as you know hitler is rising to power what was it like uh here in the united states um in times that were more turbulent um you know kind of thinking right now like late 60s early 70s you know kind of what was that like what was that like for people who were in the middle of it, whether they wanted to or not, what was it like for the people around it? And how much did people realize that they were in the middle of um, what I will just continue to call uh, for this, like big history? Um, how much did they realize it? And how much were they just going about their day trying to get their groceries, trying to take care of their kids, trying to just figure out how to make it through life? Right. Um, so I've the first time I remember being fascinated by that is in a high school history class, specifically um, thinking about kind of pre-World War II Germany. So mm. I know I've been fascinated about it that long <laughs> and might have been before that, but I have um, very direct memories of that. Yeah. And I think you bring up something that I think is really important to clarify in a lot of history of, you know, big cultural upheaval there's the perspective of looking at it where change comes to you and you have no choice, right? Mm -hmm. If you are Jewish in Germany at the outset of World War II, you're not deciding how to react, right? You, the change is happening to you. Right. Um, But then there's also that perspective of, well, if you were, you know, a non-Jewish person in Germany and you were seeing these changes happening around you and to your neighbors, how would you react? I think that's important to think about, too, of, of in all these big societal changes and things that are happening in America. Obviously, some of them are just that's a lot of what our discussions are reckoning about are like mm-hmm. th- there's a privilege to be able to go, how involved do I want to get versus the whole reason this is happening is because <laughs> it has to stop. I didn't right. choose for this to happen to me and it is happening to me constantly. Right. And I right. think that is important to, for me to uh be clear about yeah yeah absolutely and i think um just kind of the reason that in particular has always fascinated me is because if if something is happening to you you have no choice it's not that you want to be part of this but you have to because it somebody else has made you be part of this whether it's um you know something like um you know jews being taken away during you know by germany in world war ii whether it's something like your town has been bombed, you know, whatever the the situation is, if it's happening to you, you don't have that choice. But to me, it's always one of the fascinations has been like for the people who are kind of on the fringes, not necessarily right next door. So maybe they don't entirely know what's going on, um, which is not what I'm saying about right now. Yeah. But <laughs> just to really clarify that. Um, but for the people that, you know, you're on a farm and you hear that there's this, you know, you know, there's a new leader and like, but you don't quite know all the details or, I mean, that's a bad example, but um, kind of when, when the margins get sucked in and when they stay apart and also how aware you are of it, because 
I think when you're on those margins, you can you can have your eyes more open or not. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a really, really great way uh, to say it. And I think for some of these, all of these swirling crises that we're living through right now, I think they are going to affect everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at different levels of acceptance mm-hmm. uh, for that. Um, yeah, I think this big picture thing for me, there's just something really powerful about it because there, even when you're reading about the most horrific history, even if it's your own past history, and had you been alive then, you would have absolutely been affected, um, all that kind of thing, uh, that there is still this comfort in the distance and this comfort of knowing how the story plays out. <laughs> and I think that sometimes for me, I, I think why may, maybe some of us have a little gear in our bl- brain where we don't want to acknowledge we're in the middle of a huge historic event because it's really scary to take on the responsibility and to really put yourself in the place of people who had to choose whether or not to kind of let their normal life be disrupted because this crisis was so huge Mm -hmm. that it had to be addressed. That's a scary thing to do. And I think to admit that you are right in the middle of history <laughs> that we are all you know protagonists mm-hmm. in the story of history right now is a scary thing to admit because we don't know how it's going to end and history gives us that comfort even when it's a horrible story of knowing how it's going to end mm-hmm. even in a less scary way just like for me when i was a kid reading about celebrities mm-hmm. you know i'd be you know reading about young frank sinatra and i'd be like well, come on, just hurry up and sign up with Tommy Dorsey's band because I know that's how you get famous. Why aren't you just doing it? <laughs> you know what? Like, and and trying to put yourself back in that mindset of being you, whoever you're, you're, you know, a celebrity or an entertainer you might like or a mm-hmm. politician. Like, remember when they were that your age and they didn't know that next thing around the corner. They didn't know that right move. They took that big chance, you know, and, and to try to relate to that moment instead of because I think that's the thing that we do both with history, certainly heroes in history, mm-hmm. and uh, creative and famous people that we admire, we sometimes give this uh, predestination to them of eventually, of course, they would come into their greatness and they would do the <laughs> thing that they are, of course, destined to do. Right. And it's like, no, they had to make all those frightening choices. They had to take all those risks and be in those places of doubt. And I think trying to kind of strip away some of the legend mm-hmm. from history and some of the sort of mythic storytelling of history yeah. and strip it back down to events happen, we respond. It's super scary to respond because we don't know the future. And it's often means taking risks and sacrificing things. Yeah. Yeah. It's individual people making choices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so w- when you are learning different versions of history throughout your life, mm-hmm. um, because you are a big fan of history and have studied it for a long time, were there moments where you put yourself in the story where you actively did the exercise of, if I were there then, what would I have done? Oh, yeah. No, we had, I had a, um, this is actually the very, one of the very specific moments that I remember from high school. So I had a, a civics or a uh, Western civilization teacher who, you know, was very good at kind of not just looking at the big, the big moments, but trying to make you put yourself there. Yeah. And um, I, actively remember sitting in the classroom when he was like okay you know we learned about um some specific students who had um fought back against the nazi regime i I don't recall at what point within 
um, within that time it was, but they were like, it was kind of like, okay, he kind of brought us through the whole exercise and then it was like, okay, you, you know, here's the whole class. And these are the three students that decided to do something. And this is what they did. And I, I don't remember the details of the history lesson because I remember the details of him then turning to us as a class and, um, you know, it was spring. We had all been in class together for a long time. We all knew each other um, and kind of turning to us and saying, OK, which ones among you would actually be the ones to stand up for something? Because everybody wants to think they would be. They want to put themselves in those hero shoes mm-hmm. looking back. But, you know, kind of doing this study of looking at what the reality was, what the reality was of standing up. And I, I believe that at least some, if not all, of the people who had stood up um, against the regime had been killed. So it was like, you know, these are the stakes. We now, with the hindsight of history, know what was actually going on. And we, you know, uh, really celebrate the people who stood up. But with what you knew at the time, what would you have done? And I believe there is also an element of, you know, look around at your classmates. Who do you think would be the people to stand up? Wow. And and oh, also wow. like and or who do you think would be the people who would maybe turn in somebody else? Was this college? Was this high school? This was high school. Okay, wow. Yeah. Iowa, and, right? In Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Go Iowa high school. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that go? Did you did everybody in the class start pointing fingers of like Judy's definitely going to give turn people in or Um I think that I mean, I don't remember I honestly don't remember how if like we had to write down names. I know we had to do kind of at least I did my own kind of I and I mean this is kind of what stuck with me is the like I really really want to think that I would be the person who would stand up and I honestly don't know if I would be yeah and kind of the shame that that brought on me I think then instilled in me ever since then of like no I need to make sure I am a person who would stand up like questioning that like I like I, it was a really good life lesson but I I know there is some sort of um kind of group or public version of it because I know there's at least one student that. Uh, at least within maybe it was our group and not the whole class. We were like, well, yeah, of, of course, Tammy would be one of the people to stand up for what's right. Oh, wow. And it, it's just, it was very interesting just kind of like how how we came to that decision. And I think she was like, I don't know that I would do that. And we're like, <laughs> no, you totally would. Like you're always the person who just kind of quietly does what's best for other people. Yeah. Interesting. Do yeah. you remember what people thought about you or said about you? I don't. You don't okay, did you no. block it out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it was that much of like around the room, like trying to label each person. I think it was more like, okay, who are the one or two that kind of rise to the top as like these will be the one or two that more people I don't maybe I'll write it down on a piece of paper or something. I honestly don't remember the details of how the lesson was carried out. Um, it's more that how that really, really putting us in that um, situation. Yeah, kind of setting up the stakes for us in a, um, I think a really, um, kind of a, a realistic perspective as opposed to a romantic perspective, where you're like, yeah. well, of course I'm going to be the one to put the suitcase, you know, under the table where Hitler is that has a bomb in it. Of course, like we would all do that, but right, but like not doing it that way, but really setting the stakes, um, setting up the situation, and then kind of making us all do a lot of deep, deep soul searching as you know 15 year olds or whatever we were yeah yeah and i think that's really really powerful and i think that's a a part of it too which uh this idea of the (laughs) heroification of 
individuals, mm-hmm. which absolutely, I believe individuals can be heroes, of course, of course, and I believe we should strive to be. But so many of the stories we tell are about, you know, the hero stands up to the bully and it, it doesn't feel the same, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're watching a narrative and the hero is surrounded by bullies who are written to be clearly egregiously bad. Right. That is, we we hold that in our hearts. And then the reality is, like for me, you say something on a podcast and then you spend a week of, of people yelling at you and questioning your integrity. And, you know, and it's just, it is different in, the, and I don't mean poor me in any way. I just am mm-hmm. using myself as an example. But it is different that would you disrupt your day-to-day reality and sort of risk putting a target on your back mm-hmm. is different than the way we tell the story, uh, right. which is, you know, would you stand up to the obviously egregious, awful bullies? Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, I think there's also this heroification, a uh, little bit of a problem where I think a lot of the things that we can do to make a difference um, like voting, or if we only have a little bit of money donating $2 to a campaign, mm-hmm. stuff that truly does objectively by science mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in math and numbers make a difference. I think we have, we watch so many stories where a single hero or a small group of heroes rise up that our idea of power is it, it, it's only valuable if you have a bunch of it and you can take a big swing. Mm-hmm. Our, we don't, I don't think we have a strong sense of, of collective power. Mm-hmm. Like obviously uh, unions do. Uh, but I think just in sort of the, our, our kind of collective imagining of ourselves, mm-hmm. it is hard to feel powerful when you just like, the reality is I have a little drop of power and I go, boop, I voted. And I go, <laughs> boop, I wrote some letters and I go, boop, I you know, donated $100. Yeah. It doesn't feel powerful. Yeah. Because we're so used to, it is, I pull out <laughs> my magic sword and I, say, <laughs> I, you know, blast it into the sky and all of my allies are, you know, are rushed to my side and rah, and I charge the castle, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what I think we have romanticized power into being. And the reality is we do in America still right now have power, mm-hmm. but it is the little boop. Uh, I use my power. Boop. I use my power. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the most fascinating things is that it, I mean, yes, there there is big power, but that there is small power in that feeling of like, it's not, I'm just going to keep going back to this example for right now. I'll stop it soon. But like, it's not just about, are you the person putting the briefcase with the bomb next to Hitler? It's yeah. about like, are you the person who's just not saying any like you have to be under the radar and you're not saying anything when people come um you're like you're not turning on your neighbors or you're getting food to people uh but what i wanted to say based on what you were just saying is i'm wondering i'm curious with our current um you know modern technologies uh specifically with donating yeah because uh for many of us if we're donating money um it's it's just some clicks on our computer just like we click on our computer to pay bills or to do whatever so it doesn't have that same like you know i wonder if something not that it would i'm not saying it would be better especially right now because we also have pandemic (laughs) to like you know have to go down and put like the money in the box at the 
donation center or whatever, you know, that it's a, that's a, again, bad example. I'm going to not be using the best examples, but I am curious about if that, um, if because there isn't necessarily a physical act connected with it or a face-to-face interaction, yeah. if we feel like our actions have less power than we would if there was some of that um, shared energy that you get from being face-to-face or from having a more physical action. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's great. Of, of So much of the battle of history, the battle of, his, uh, of uh, you know, elections, the battle of just who holds power is narrative of mm-hmm. how do we communicate it to one another. And I think what you're saying is so valuable. I think I was really inspired... Um, on uh, this past Friday night and into Saturday when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And there was this, uh, there was many different uh, campaigns going on from individual senators to a lot of different, let's flip the Senate blue, but the, the uh, get Mitch or die trying, mm-hmm. uh, wh- which I think does well because it has a flashy name and that is just the, the, the truth mm-hmm. uh, of it. But they specifically kept setting goals in on their, you know, main site where you, you actually give the money. They had, the uh the temperature gauge right the thermometer right with the green going up and i think it gets a little bit to what you're saying of you can see like i contributed to doing that you can physically even on your computer see something because otherwise even though i think about this stuff a lot i talk about it on podcasts i believe it i still fight the feeling that like if i give five dollars to a campaign on a certain day it kind of feels like I walk out on our little balcony and just throw a $5 bill into the wind and go, <laughs> it's going to get somewhere that's going to make a difference, right? You have to really hold on to that belief to have yeah. any of that sense of, I stood up, I did something. Yeah. I used the small amount of power and resources that I have, and I contributed and put it to a, you know, a, a, a this pile where, where we're building up our collective power, and it is going to make a difference. It is very hard to hold that in your head. Yeah, but I think exactly the same the same example the um the power of Friday into Saturday as those numbers kept going up it really gave you that sense of being part of um part of a movement part of a a large swell yeah. that was like you know not that those people hadn't been there and doing these things anyway but there's a large swell of we need to respond to this exact situation right now and here we go we're all going to rise up yeah. in our way and our way of rising up is um giving money to this yeah and, and yeah every million that went up kind of said you are not alone yeah you are not exactly. just throwing your five dollars out the window to the wind yeah this is the exact place it's going and you are not alone yeah many of you still have to be in your homes because you're not in a place where it's <laughs> safe to be around other people but you are not alone and yeah. i mean what a powerful message at a time when we have so many different things going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you and I have, uh, and everybody listening to this, has li- lived through moments of history. And I think sometimes when we think of moments of history, they are things that are sudden or startling. And I think that's another one of the challenges mm-hmm. of right now is it's this slow-moving thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us who are truly afraid that Trump will destroy uh, democracy, as he keeps just kind of blatantly saying, mm-hmm. uh and, you know, honestly, for me as well, it's like, even if he didn't have any interest in making himself uh, the sole ruler and canceling future elections and all that stuff, uh, he's also just utterly incompetent. He's yeah. just 
you know, I think there is going to be a, yeah, no, things are going to start not functioning because he, he can't run the government, Mm -hmm. which is a huge part of the pandemic deaths, not only the lies, but just the total mismanagement. So there are, to me, these like absolutely fall off a cliff, end of democracy, uh, people just dying from absolutely nothing happening about a disease. Um, because even if a vaccine came through, that's not the be all end all. Anyway, so we're heading to off these dramatic cliffs in, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but we've headed towards the edge of that cliff relatively slowly. And I thought it'd be interesting to compare that, this experience that we're living in now Mm -hmm. to something that, you know, so many of us lived through, which, uh, obviously human events built up to it, human choices, all that stuff. But Mm 9-11, like one of the biggest histories that our generation has lived through, felt sudden and startling. Mm -hmm. You know, so I wanted to hear a little bit about what your experience of living through history was in an event like 9-11 to maybe contrast that to what we're living through now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, just kind of the like, where was I? How did I hear about it? All that. Yeah. Um, I was living in Minneapolis at the time and... I remember this because I, um, it was the day when I was driving to work because there also I sometimes do and sometimes took public transportation. Um, but I was driving and I always listened to the news. And that morning I was just like, I just, the highway's not too busy. I just want the the windows open and I just don't want to deal with the news. Wow. So I didn't know right away. Um, so I drove in was working um, for Xenon Dance Company at the time and was parking very far away (laughs) where the parking was free (laughs) or very cheap as opposed to uh, in the middle of downtown Minneapolis. And so I walked in um, still not knowing. And this is, you know, now probably I I don't remember what time I started there, but maybe like nine o'clock or something. And I remember getting up to the floor um, where our offices were and where the rehearsal studios were. And the choreographer, so the company had visiting choreographers. And the choreographer who was there right then, um, I think the company was also just coming in at the same time. He was from New York. And he came, I had just gotten into the office. um, And I think I was the first person in the office. And he came running in. He's like, I need to know what's going on. Who has a radio? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, we didn't... for a poor dance company who didn't have like TVs and things like that. And I don't know why we didn't think to like go down to one of the restaurants on the first floor to watch the TV. So we um, found a radio and turned on a radio and huddled around the radio to hear what was happening. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, did, how long did you stay there before shutting the school down for the day? Oh gosh. You know what? I don't remember. I know, I think, I mean, we, we certainly did close classes and obviously the, com- the company I, listened to the radio and did not actually rehearse um i think around the time when like we are kind of gauging to see what people were what the reaction was Mm -hmm. um and i honestly don't remember a lot of details about that part of it it's more about the kind of the opening and then everything unfolding and kind of trying to figure out what's going on and trying to get all the news um and i (laughs) i think i might not have had a tv at that point in my life wow and i remember friends of mine later um questioning whether i am even more than me my boyfriend at the time had heard like they're like should we just call <laughs> and make sure that sarah's heard wow. it like uh, yeah it, like it was like uh, yes of course i've heard um you know and then it was like the calling everybody and making sure they're okay and you know kind of 
all of that checking in with the people um, that you love that a tragedy like this I think that's one of the um, instincts yeah just kind of like make sure the people that you love are are okay or if they're not you know what can you do Um, you know finding out who are the people around you who have friends and family who might have you know worked in the Twin Towers you know people who worked in or near the Pentagon and like you know who was on an airplane that day yeah and just kind of trying to figure out what's the lay of the new land right right oh that's fascinating so did for the rest of the day did you go to a, a place uh where there was a television or did you listen to the radio <laughs> i think i mainly listened to the radio um yeah okay wow did, yeah. with your boyfriend or i think then later i can't remember if it was that day or the next day we his parents lived like an hour away so we ended up going just down to his parents house okay yeah wow that's fascinating yeah, I think uh, th- it's so illuminating because I think it is it- it's a reaction to this sudden event, you know. Right. And then obviously there are more reactions as all of the consequences start to play out. Um, yeah, right. but for myself, I was working at uh, uh, Kinko's at the time in uh, the IDS Center in downtown Minneapolis. If you're not familiar, it's one of the big skyscrapers. It's uh, 50 stories uh, in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, this Kinko's was at the base of it. Uh, there was a television installed which we all got kind of annoyed about. Like one, one of our managers was just like, I, I'm, going, I'm going to the store and I'm getting a brace for the wall and I'm putting up a television because the only reason there was a television there is it was pointed at the line of where customers would wait. <laughs> and we had so many incredibly stressed business people mm-hmm. in line. The only reason that that television was there was it was turned to CNN to attempt to pacify angry business people waiting in line at Kinko's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't regularly, I, I, I don't think my television actually, my television at that time was just for video games <laughs> <laughs> and VHS tapes probably still at that point, maybe a DVD. I can't remember. Um, no. Uh, so yeah, I was really just literally walking into my job mm-hmm. where I was the assistant manager in seeing the towers on the television and having the, uh, third shift overnight manager go the hey i you know this happened there was a plane flew into one tower and everybody thought it was an accident but now a plane flew into second tower so it's probably not an accident and then everything just spiraled from there and it was you know that i remember i believe my father and another friend of mine called and like you have to get out of there immediately because we don't know if it's every tall building uh, that's being targeted. I uh, got a call from like the Uber, Uber, Uber uh, manager of Kinko's uh, saying close. And at that time, Kinko's did not close. It w- It's like arcane knowledge how to physically close the store. Mm-hmm. And I only knew how to close it because my manager uh, had said, you have to learn how to do this. So, you know, Christmas, uh, part of Christmas Day is one of the only times we close. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I need you to stay a little bit late on Christmas Eve and, and so I can show you how to close this door. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I had to uh, close the store immediately, which is just not a thing that happens. Because um, they yeah, go closed ahead. the whole IDS, don't, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the so I think the IDS was like, we're closing. Um, and then the Kinko's obviously wanted to comply. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and had to you know drive the drive all of our work to another Kinko store and yeah all that because if I may just for a moment yeah. um, for people not familiar with uh, Minneapolis Xenon Dance Company where I worked was in the Hennepin Center for the Arts and uh, which is what 
three, four blocks from the IDS. Yeah. And um, we did not know each other <laughs> at the time. No. We'll just throw that out there. But I remember, and honestly, I think that we did at some point, maybe somebody had like a small little mini TV. So I think at some point we did actually start watching a TV. But I remember we heard um, that the IDS was closing. And I was like, oh, oh, this is a big deal. Like I yeah. had forgotten about that, but I viscerally remember that like, okay, well, gosh, okay, yeah, this is a big deal if the IDS is, I mean, we knew it was a big deal, but like, but it, it became- Yeah, hundreds of businesses, two stores of restaurants and shopping, like uh, it, it's a hub of downtown. Yeah, and it, it was that feeling of like, okay, this isn't just a thing that's happening out there on the East Coast, right. but we don't know if this is happening everywhere across the country. And so downtown is closing. But the the um, linchpin that I remember in that maybe it was the first building that closed probably was the Idea Center. Yeah. Yeah. Not to interrupt you, just to share that because no, I forgot, no. totally forgotten about remembering that. And that kind of so like, funny. Um, I think our director didn't really want to close anything. And then she's like, okay, well, maybe I need <laughs> well, to. The Idea is closing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, my girlfriend at the time was uh, going, I can't remember where she was, but she was uh, on a little mini vacation uh, somewhere in America Mm -hmm. uh, with her parents. Uh, And so I was just like alone. We had basic cable, I think, because I watched CNN and it was just like that sort of. uh, And we had we had some dial up Internet that was not great. And I remember checking on her sister because she mm. lives in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and checking on a friend of mine who lived in New York. And it was like this like a uh, 15 minute process to send <laughs> one email. And yeah. yeah. But I think what what's fascinating about all of this to talk about in, in the context of now is mm-hmm. everything that we're describing for a general national response. Uh, it was very reactionary to this one unthinkable event and i remember what was so unthinkable about it to me is it, uh, you know uh, i'm a big fan of james bond and I, I i don't mean any of this to sensationalize or belittle 9-11 in, in fact the entire opposite mm-hmm. is so many espionage stories and action adventure movies especially popular at the time were about stopping huge sensationalist tragedies like that mm-hmm. so it felt unreal in this very specific way where the unreal the fantasy the thing that james bond would have stopped happened Mm -hmm. and i think that sort of propelled people in a lot of our reactions um and some of them obviously did did huge damage which you know like uh profiling and hatred uh towards a lot of people from the middle east or even who looked like they were from the middle east in Mm -hmm. any way shape or form um and uh and obviously, uh, the you know those wars. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, a lot of these events unfolded because of that. But the thing that I'm building toward is, we had this specific response to this event because it was like horrible, over the top storytelling becoming real. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like we have the opposite problem now, where things are happening slowly, and uh, I. Um, you know, um, again, don't want to trivialize it, but like what is happening is the story of the, of the prequels. It, it is. If you go to interview the Star Wars, the Star prequels, Wars yeah. mm-hmm. if, if you go to interviews with George Lucas, he is explicit. Star Wars is political. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is, it's in the foreword 
of the original novelization of the first movie that came out before the movie even did. The prologue <laughs> is about a government that gets eaten up from the inside because they a strong leader comes along who wants control and manipulates everybody to fear others and in that process slowly takes all this power in the name of security from these horrible others. Mm-hmm. Right? It, that's just yeah. the story. But because it's just happening slowly and every little thing is like, well, yeah, that was bad, but how bad is it? Who's overreacting? Who has an agenda? Who's being a hypocrite? The, both sides do it, blah, blah, blah. It's because it's happening so slowly, it feels like hyperbole to mm-hmm. say, no, he's, he, Trump's doing what Palpatine did. It feels like <laughs> hyperbole to compare him to uh, Hitler because in, in the in the um, the not you know the the what actually politically happened in Germany mm-hmm. because that has moved from being history yes but also to just being storytelling the Nazis are like you know this almost cartoon evil right and uh, at this point to us at this point to, like mm-hmm. the, our storytelling of them mm-hmm. so I guess my point is that. Uh, because the honest comparison, in my opinion, to what's happening is some of our like storytelling narratives, it sounds like hyperbole when we're trying to sound the alarms right. to a lot of people. And to me, I'm just really fascinated with that because it feels like the opposite of a sudden event that, that becomes the, the, the uh, you know, absurdity of fiction is suddenly real. Right. Now, when we're trying to compare reality to fiction, it feels absurd because it's happening so slowly. And it, and it feels like, come on, is it really that bad? And you're like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> but in order to, to understand that, you have to look at this piece. You have to look at this piece. You have to look at this piece. You have to pile them up, you know? Yeah. 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 Because we don't have the, the large event that demands reactionary actions. Yeah. But we have the small, as many, many people have said, you know, it's the, what is it, the, the frog in the boiling water? <laughs> yeah. Right? Is That's the analogy of, like, as it slowly warms up, um, you don't notice until it's too warm to get out. Yeah. And I'm talking in huge generalities because, again, I want to be very uh, understanding that there are people who uh, are incredibly aware of what's happening and people who have yes. to suffer for it immediately. Yes. And But I'm just talking about that kind of general conversation, like, it's why, why it's taken the media so long to go, like, well, he has broken this norm. He has. It does appear as though he violated this law. Well, that's a horrific thing for a president to do or say. But let's well, let's let's just try to look at it from both sides. You know. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, no one's holding him accountable for that one. Okay. Yeah, and at a certain point, it's like, well, the sides are democracy or not, and that just like that sentence is like, okay, that's hyperbole, right? And it's and to me, it's not anymore. Right. And and a big a big part of our challenge has been like we need to get to that point where it's it's not hyperbole. Yeah, these things are happening. The frog is boiling. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I uh, feel like I'm not going to say everybody, uh, but certainly a few uh, people that I don't know, and a few people that I do know who um, live in Germany have said like people always want to know what it was like in the 30s before everything got horrible. Hey, U.S. Look at yourselves. Yeah. Like, I just, it's, I mean, not, they aren't necessarily the exact people who have lived through it, but um, from a, you know, a con- country's historical perspective, they're like, hey, open your eyes. You're in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, the, the other thing I wanted to say uh, about living through 9-11, obviously it was that that big moment. But for me, I had this weird, obviously there were re- repercussions of it that went on to this day. and mm-hmm. uh, Many, many, many repercussions. Yeah. Uh, but that moment where the the hugeness of it becomes small and, and real. Like the way that we're dealing with this now is because it's day to day. It's small and it's real and therefore a little bit harder to process. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's known fact that the terrorists who planned 9-11 uh, used Kinko's t- to yeah. do some of their communication because you could just sign into the computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I signed in. It's every possibility that they used uh, computers at our Kinko's. I signed dozens of people into uh, computers every day, mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, and... Months after 9-11, an FBI agent came to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, FBI agents were like uh, Agent Cooper or Dana Scully from X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> Super sharp geniuses, you know, and absolutely flawless black suits. And this was just the most tired middle-aged man in a beige suit with, I am not bullshitting you, actual mustard on his tie from whatever hot dog <laughs> he just ate and just like, you know, laid this stuff out, which at that point was public knowledge. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, you know, have you signed anyone in to the computers who seemed, you know, upset? Like, <laughs> literally every person I've ever of of any description uh, in any way. <laughs> I, I, hey, I, I signed Sinbad and Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall into computers and they were upset, too. Everyone I ever signed into a computer at Ginkgo's was upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been signed into those computers. <laughs> I was probably upset at the time, too. I signed personal friends and got annoyed. Like, <laughs> really? You have to sign? Like, I'm sorry. It's company policy. But that was just one of those moments where it really went from the fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, again, I don't mean no disrespect by that, um, to the like, this is all the story of humans and we are all doing this and we're all doing this. All of these big things happen in day-to-day steps, moment by moment, and you're never even aware. You could be a part of history, and you're not even aware of it. Yeah. Um, which I think I, I've thought about that because I feel like that's, you know, h- how many uh, moments are we all living through that are, w- what's a moment where we could do something different yeah. to add our little bit of change to the course of the narrative? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, we are living through these multiple connected crises now. What do you, what do you, what are you thinking about what your role in history is? How, what do you want to be doing? Yeah. Well, I, I want to be doing enough. Right. Honestly, which is, is very vague in that I have a hard time um, measuring how I'm doing because that's very vague of wanting to, because there's, I feel like we have, uh, as you said, so many things going on right now. And I believe they're all, interconnected but also there's direct actions for for different ones you know there's the the threat to democracy there's the um climate crisis there's the uh, threat to people's lives who are not um white and look the way that some people think they should or act the way that people think they should um and excuse me so i'm really wanting to make sure that i um that I play an active part, that I stand up for what I believe in and whether that's, um, I believe that there are a lot of different ways to make a difference, whether it's through um, 
you know, actively writing letters, giving money. You know, some people, it's running for office. I think there's a lot of things that people can do um, and a lot of ways to be part of part of the force for good and but that is ultimately one of what I want to make sure is that I feel like that I feel like I am standing up that I'm not sticking my head in the sand that I am standing up for what I believe in um and doing my part to try to make the world a better place and try to for everybody and also try to stand up to preserve our democracy yeah and it uh, yeah, I totally agree with all those things. I think, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, what do you feel like, um, I mean, I have some thoughts, but I also want to ask you, what do you feel like you you can and are actively doing yeah, to well, pursue those things? Uh, I mean, I, I wrestle daily with whether I'm doing enough, and I, I think I will continue to. And I don't think you're alone in that. Um, part of it. Um, uh, but I, I mean, certainly we have been, trying to give money both to um, national things, but also for me, it's also very much trying to pay attention to local mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, and I will let you go from there. <laughs> I mean, I, well, think, I think more about my answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is part of the reason that I wanted to have this conversation is I think that there is, uh, we're in this balance point of, you know, what can we do? We can uh, we can sort of sound the alarm, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to work on getting uh, better on that, of being a little bit more uh, forward about my opinions mm-hmm. uh, and, and clear in my convictions, because I think I have, uh, for myself, created a little bit of an empathy trap, which means, but kind of what I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast of, I do want to understand where people are coming from, but if it gets to that point where where people are coming from, however relatable and understandable it might be, the conclusion is, uh, yeah, I would like Trump to be president forever. And I think that anybody who comes into America should be put into a, a prison. Like, yeah, no, I can't. I can't agree with that. But I feel like I I, I, I allow myself to be put in this empathy trap mm-hmm. of um, if I speak up strongly about beliefs I'm against, people say, Oh, you're against me, and for me, that's like no, I, I, I am not a blue person who is against red people. Mm-hmm. I don't want churches to reopen because I don't want everybody to go in there and die because it's science. Mm-hmm. I can't agree with you because it's not an opinion because it's science mm-hmm. that the virus will do the most damage in an enclosed space with people who aren't wearing masks and singing. Mm-hmm. It that's science. I, I can't even agree to disagree with you because you're wrong. It's science. But I I do sometimes shy away from being as blunt as I want to about that because people's response are gonna, is going to be this empathy trap mm-hmm. of you only care about your side. And like, it's so hard. He's like, no, the whole point is I don't want you to die. I don't want these things to happen because I think they're bad for everyone. Um so I think for myself, I need to work on just uh, finding ways to raise my voice more mm-hmm. uh, and amplify other people's voices more, which I've really been trying to do on social media of just, I don't need a hot take. I just need to retweet things, particularly mm-hmm. when they affect, uh, more directly affect, um, you know, people from other communities. It just retweet those people. Yeah. yeah um, so I'm trying to do that on the voting front. I've been writing these letters for 
uh, for Vote Forward. Um, I've been taking the time to try to research and be um, uh, strategic in where we give our money. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another thing that's happening right now um, that not only being strategic on money, but trying to share strategic things on social media that um, there are a lot of experts out there. And I think one of the things that's happening right now is a war on experts. But like there's this article that I keep resharing of uh, professional uh, war gamers. Not, I don't mean painting minis. I mean like political war gamers mm-hmm. uh, got together and did a bunch of scenarios of how is the election going to turn out? What's going to happen if it is truly close? really close and there is actual legitimate question of who won right what's going to happen if it's close but biden clearly won but trump denies it mm-hmm. you know what's going to happen if biden crushingly obviously wins both the electoral college and the popular vote and trump still like experts have gone through all of the scenarios yeah. and the evidence is it will be much much harder for trump and the the GOP people who support him to steal the election if Biden crushingly wins. Mm-hmm. So that's like, hey, experts did this. And I see constant Facebook comments where uh, all of us as common citizens, great, uh, doing doing due diligence and having discussions and all that. But like, I want to amplify things like that of like, experts had this discussion and this is why we do need to overwhelmingly vote for biden like so i'm trying Mm -hmm. to be strategic about like what are places where it's not a as much of a shoulder shrug Mm -hmm. experts can always be wrong but you know not as much because they're experts that's the whole point uh so i'm trying to be strategic about the things i share and hope that that matters as well yeah yeah i think that's very important um there's one that i was telling you about without microphones in front of our faces uh (laughs) yesterday that um that a friend of mine shared that I really appreciated because it was saying, okay, here are some, it was specifically about Senate races, but it was like, here are some of the Senate races that um, will benefit the most if what you have to give is time. And that mm. means phone banking or text banking. Here are the um, some of the races that will benefit the most if what you have to give is money. And I really appreciated that um, breakdown because, um, you know, you you want to feel like you're doing things that are effective and... Uh, And I just I thought that was a really great like, yep, here are different like all of it is helpful. It's not that any of it is bad. Um, And, you know, I I, you know, do my little tweets and retweets and whatnot. But like to know, okay, no, if you've got, you know, you're going to take an an hour in phone bank or you're going to, you know, take some time in text bank for people. Here are people who could really use it um, and where you're your time has the most bang for its buck or your money has the most bang for its buck. I, and I find, especially as we're getting so close to the election, um, a lot of those from trusted experts who who have the tools, who have the knowledge to know how to drill down into the research yeah. and then share that. And maybe they're right. Maybe somebody else has a different perspective but or a different um, analysis of the data. But it's probably also not going to be doing harm at this point for any of these Um but I really appreciate having that um, informed perspective. Yeah. Because we do all have a finite, finite amount of resources, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, however you're um, participating, y- you want to make sure that you're doing something that is feels beneficial, at least 
at least I do. And I feel like many people do. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I love the Mr. Rogers quote that has become more and more uh, prevalent of, you know, look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should also add, uh, look to the experts <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in whatever field is like, cause a lot of times the things that we're fighting with one another about on Facebook in mm-hmm. comment threads, like experts have the answer. Um, mm-hmm. Not always, and you might not agree with it and all that, and experts can be fallible, but in the big picture, experts. Yeah. Um, th- there's a reason that word <laughs> exists. Yep, and then you can be a helper to that expert. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the thing also, like that Mr. Rogers quote is so lovely and wonderful to cope with with trauma when something awful happens. Mm-hmm. But it was directed towards children. Right. So I also think, be the helper. Yep, we're adults. <laughs> be the helpers. <laughs> Look in the mirror for the helper is important uh, as well. <laughs> Yep. Uh, the other thing I do, and, and I wrestle with all these because, again, I fight, even even though I've been talking about it on this podcast, I fight with it constantly of like, that's pathetic that you think that makes a difference because it feels like the power. But I feel like there is a real conversation, too, between uh, between people who are in agreement that where we're headed is... Um, just terribly dangerous from climate crisis, from the containment of the virus to uh, the elections being fake in America going forward after this one, if Trump wins or or takes the election. Uh, Endless, endless crises coming. Mm -hmm. For the people who agree with that, there is, and this really happened on Friday, a, um, a a push and pull on how to talk about it. Uh, Mm. That there is a, I, a realism slash nihilism that can set in of like, yep, we all knew this was coming. And yep, you can yell at, you know, your Democratic reps to try to stop this or that, but they're not going to. So you should just accept it. And there's that part of me of like, yeah, realism is absolutely necessary. Uh, but there's also this conversation for me of hope is important. And it's important because to me, hope isn't the naive belief that everything's going to be fine hope is the necessary feeling to keep trying to fight for even the possibility of making things okay mm-hmm. hope is not the belief that eh, it'll be fine <laughs> right? right right hope is not i'm just gonna sit on my couch and hope everybody else figures it out yeah yeah hope is like the fire that instills you to action Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I'm building towards with that is one of the other things that I'm trying to do is not constantly, but try to write some posts on on social media because it's it's the small amount of voice that I have and promote hope, Mm -hmm. which is just keep fighting. Like, yes, fully acknowledge what's at stake. So you realize you need to stay engaged in whatever small way you you can. Mm hmm feel when when you make that two dollar contribution feel powerful because it is power uh and try to just help is as much as i can with people staying as hopeful as they can so they can continue the fight to either you know when the super bad things happen to not just give in mm-hmm. to not hand over their power because mm-hmm. trump would love it if he the more people he can convince that their votes don't matter that that's giving him your power yeah. to me. And I think we need that constant reminder. We need to kind of keep, uh, it's dumb in a way to compare social media to this, but it's almost like we're all running somewhere as a big group 
and every one of us is going to get fatigued and start to fall over. And like a little uh, social media post about hope is like grabbing that person next to you <laughs> and helping them up when yeah. when they're stumbling. And then you're going to see another social media post that's going to help you up when you're stumbling. Um, and I know there are many horrors about uh, social media, but that's the place that we have to communicate to one another in general and particularly right now with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I absolutely I, I believe a lot in the strength in the strength of hope and um, have many of my own ups and downs with social media. But it has been um, interesting. And honestly, it was really interesting kind of with the conversation about, you know, 9-11, because that was pre-social media, at least for most of us um, to not have that. Whereas like, you know, what, what did we do on this Friday? We turned on the news because we wanted to kind of hear what people were saying and then seeing the images of everybody outside the Supreme court building. But also we turned to social media because it is right now our way of um, sharing collective grief and collective mourning and also collective um, hope and, helping each other move forward and, you know, finding those moments of inspiration to do the thing that maybe you were uncertain if it was the right thing for you to do, but you're like, yes, I will take that step that I've been putting off taking or, you know, whatever it happens to me. And I know I'm being very general, but I feel like that's very important. Yeah. And I also want to bring it in. <laughs> I feel like, I think I brought this up a few other times on other podcasts. I've been reading very, very slowly um, just because that's how I've been reading it. Um, the the Book of Joy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a series of interviews with the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Um, and it's honestly, it's been a really interesting read during this time. Uh, they are both people who have dealt with a lot of hardship in their lives. Um, you know, Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa, uh, Dalai Lama, I think basically everybody knows, uh, but, you know, was had to flee China, um, had to flee Tibet when the Chinese uh, took over. And what the book is, is a series of people talking about different elements of joy and people sending in questions, including things like, how can you, you know, how can you feel not in a challenging way, but like, you, you know, joy is important, but how is that important when you're also fighting these fights and so many things are so bad and kind of just that, that idea of joy and compassion and hope and how important that is to these struggles yeah. that um, are ongoing or have, you know, in, you know, the case of apartheid, at least apartheid ended and how important, you know, one of the key figures who was part of that was like, nope, you have to keep compassion and hope and generosity to keep all of us going even in these very, very difficult times. Yeah. And so it's been really beneficial to me. So I'm just going to, I want to bring that up as well. Yeah, I think that's great. What It's the Book of Joy? The Book of Joy. That's really, I'm sure people have Googled that just hoping a thing called that exists. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's fascinating to me and I, and I apologize. I don't remember the author right now, but it's a series of interviews um, with the two of them together and just, you know, seeing their interactions yeah. and, um, you know, their love and compassion and humor for each other is yeah um it's been very inspiring to me i think i started reading it around the time of when the pandemic uh and the safer at home order started yeah. and it's been really um and especially with everything that's been going on this summer and um it just uh, the realities of life in america right now um i found it some days like that is honestly has been like okay 
I this is my my way to find a positive outlook for the day rather than to just sink into despair. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about despair for a moment. Yeah, because uh, I, I want to be Absolutely. honest. This obviously gets to be too much for for many of us many days. What when does that happen for you? When are your low moments? Um, at night. Okay. <laughs> In like, the evenings. In, but before bed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it varies, but I I mean sometimes in the morning, but I I I tend to run toward the positive as mm-hmm. a person, um toward the hopeful. Um hopefully not as a um you know, person with my head in the sand, but as a uh, let's find the good things, let's do our work to make the good things for as many people as we can, like that just tends to be my approach to life. Um but by the end of the day, I think sometimes I've used up those reserves. Yeah. And um, and often kind of like in the <laughs> before going to bed, like, OK, how do we even do this anymore? Yeah. Yeah. How about for you? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, w- I think times where I've been on social media a lot or there's a big new thing that comes across where something, you know, really horrible has happened. And, and I have that. I want to do something. Oh, that's another thing I do. I, I text my reps often with ResistBot, which is mm-hmm. really, it's 504-09. Uh, you can text things to sign petitions. You can write letters. And, you know, I've written letters and, and I have gotten responses. Uh, obviously, they have to respond. And, and the letters, yeah, the letters are sometimes just like, yes, we are working toward the thing. But uh, on some things, like, you know, I I pushed hard uh, on Schiff. I think I sent Adam Schiff, our rep, uh, three different, you know, I composed them myself, didn't just sign a petition, messages about, please impeach the president. And that's the power I have to tell my rep what he wants to do. My rep used the power that he had, Mm -hmm. and he did his very best. And, you know, I'm not saying my text is the one that put it over the top. It's, again, it's that drop of, it. it, this is when I'm, here's, I've talked myself into my low moments. (laughs) This is my low moment. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there's just despair when I see people, so many people actively suffering Mm -hmm. um but when when i did what i could with the tiny drop of power that i have i proactively used this great resource that somebody else took the time and the energy to build a bunch of other people are donating to so it still works i told my rep what i needed him to do eventually my rep did it we we didn't get the senate back so or or in the numbers so it didn't matter Mm -hmm. um and the GOP right now are are just clearly not going to ever hold Trump accountable for absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. So I did everything I could. And there's that part of me that wants to feel good about it because I stayed hopeful. I stayed proactive. And there's little nihilist Joseph <laughs> on the other <laughs> shoulder going, you idiot. You're bragging about that on a podcast that you sent a text to a guy and he did his job and his job didn't even work and nothing changed like that and that's the real tricky thing for me of my low moments of like yep this is why i need hope because if i just go give in and go you're right i'm an idiot then i should never say anything like this on a podcast i shouldn't waste my time texting him voting for Schiff again doesn't matter as soon as i agree with that voice of nihilism Mm -hmm. then i just stop doing anything and i stop using that tiny drop of power that i have Mm -hmm. i stop putting it in the bucket and enough people stop putting their drop of power in the bucket the bucket empties out real fast 
Yeah. And when you stop putting your little, your little piece of power in the bucket, then the people with the big power win. Yeah. Because there are people with more power. And that just is part of how the world is set up right now. But if all of the people put our little pieces of power in, that at least makes it harder for yeah. the people with the big power. But when you stop acting, then the other people win. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's that's a really good point because I um, – or a really good thing. I try – I you know, when I've called my reps, reps for things, I – want to try to remember based on what you just said like when the when their voicemail is full that's a great sign yeah because it means that so many other people have already called and that's good and also keep calling so that you could be the person who makes it full for the next person yeah um but that's a that's a really good way to kind of try to think about how to fight off the little the little sarah the little joseph of despair (laughs) we all have a little despair friend yeah yes we do um, so in the, in this moment of crisis, uh, you and I are extremely lucky that, uh, a version of our normal lives can function yeah. a version, right? Because the pandemic is affecting all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have now been locked in over the last six months. We've been locked in, uh, from a pandemic, uh, from poisonous air, from fires scientifically proven to be caused by the climate crisis. Uh, we have been locked in because of deadly levels of heat also caused by the climate crisis. We have been uh, on uh, government, uh, what is that called when you can't go out at night? Uh, Curfew. Curfew, thank you. Curfew, uh, Mm -hmm. because of their, and again, eh, I'm saying what I mean, they're largely, largely 99.9% peaceful protests that then the police and the military get sent in and escalates things. Uh, often, and, and I'm sorry again if you disagree that that's your right, and and you should use your your power by not supporting me anymore if, if you disagree that passionately. But in my opinion, that is what is happening. Is yeah. So anyway, point point being, <laughs> we we are being affected. Obviously, yeah. everyone is being affected, uh, but we are still incredibly lucky. Because we can still go get food. We've got electricity and water. We can still order things online and we can decide whether we want to do some painting today or watch some television or play a video game. How I'm still getting to do my work, which is mm-hmm. largely writing and, and podcasts right now. You, you are actually going to your job. People are planning for the future and trying to just kind of get along in the in the big picture. Um, how do you, how do you kind of juggle, uh, dealing with normal life is persisting, you know, we're watching an attempt at fascism on the news, but then we can just switch to Netflix and watch Deep Space Nine (laughs) for a little (laughs) while or, and buy cheese at the store. How do you cope with that balance? Wow. Uh, I don't think I always do. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I, I, I try very hard to, I, I can talk a good day, good game <laughs> about how balanced I am. Um, and some days I achieve it and many days I do not. Um, I, I think I go in phases um, for myself where I've sometimes where I'm very focused on kind of the the parts of the day to day that still exist. Yeah. You know, the the working, the going to the grocery store, the making food, the, you know, keeping things 
semi-tidy, you know, like just the, the very basics of reality that I feel very lucky, you know, very, very lucky to still have to, you know, we have not knocked knock on wood uh gotten covid yet so you know um so i have definitely have times where i am in that little bubble and i i kind of try to take stock of like okay what's what's the reality in like our little tiny bubble of kind of daily life and our and how we're affected by the world around us how we affect the world around us i certainly have times where i'm like okay like my my day-to-day life is where it needs to be and I'm going to give a greater percentage of my time or my energy or my mental focus to some of the problems in the world and see what can I do today to help yeah you know and I I do try to kind of have that question in my mind I I don't succeed with having that question in my mind every day and I don't succeed with finding an answer I'm remotely satisfied with many days but trying to have that like okay like keep keep one part going how what can i do to help within um all of the crises that are going on yeah and uh, and also sometimes saying okay i need to just retreat back into like (laughs) a little bubble for an hour and that's okay yeah yeah no i think that's a great answer and i think i'm trying to find that balance too uh you know i've been doing a lot of the letter writing and increasing it um for vote forward because i've been feeling like that makes me feel a little bit better to be like yeah there's uh, uh um yep i got up and i made a joke on social media and then i recorded a podcast about star wars uh and now i'll fight fascism for an hour by writing letters because it feels like one of the things that i can do mm-hmm. uh right now and just try to find that that balance um you alluded this to this a little bit and i, I wanted to touch on that as we wrap up the conversation I do think that when possible, people do need joy in order to just stay physically, emotionally half-ass healthy in order to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel uh, about finding joy during extremely dark times? How, how do you, when are you most successful at finding joy? Mm. When I don't make myself feel guilty about it. Yeah. Um, I think that's the I do think it's important. I think it's important for for ongoing m- mental health and physical health, honestly, um, to to find those moments to allow yourself to experience the full range of humanity, even when things are horrible. Um, and whether it's to sit down and watch a TV show that we like or to sit and read a book for a little bit or to watch one of the many amazing things people are putting out online during this time where we can't have live in-person entertainment, um, you know, or taking the time to talk to somebody on the phone or text with somebody, just kind of trying to to find those moments and to value those also mm-hmm. as part of both the the human experience. And also it's, I, th- I think it is really important. Um, and maybe even more important during when times are really rough to find whatever that little s- sliver and moment of joy is yeah. for yourself and for the people around you. Yeah. I think that's uh, really, really well said. I think, uh, you know, I, I do, I'm glad that we still do every once in a while, like, uh, uh, not every once in a while, we try to balance it pretty well, do an episode about cheese or, you know, <laughs> 
Uh, last week we did an episode about a 13-year-old documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Which brought us a lot of joy. It brought us a lot of joy. And I, it was really one of those, like, I don't know if people are going to be engaged by that. But, like, the fans, the, the people who like that specific 13-year-old documentary were so excited. Yeah. They're like, oh, my God, somebody's talking about that. <laughs> uh, and that was really joyful. So I do I do want to continue to contribute joy. And I think I think it's you think you hit the nail on the head of trying to find that balance. Uh, I can really get locked into the not turning cable news off all day, mm-hmm. or uh, I'm working on other things, but social media tab is always open, and I I don't concentrate on anything for more than five minutes without going back to social media because it feels like well one of the things I can do is be as aware as possible, be aware of what's going on, be aware of all the different positions, be aware of all the different theories, be aware of all of the different possibilities, be aware of all the different options to respond. Um, and then it gets to that point where that it, it feeds, it, it is good to know what's going on, but it can feed little nihilism, Joseph, Yeah, <laughs> on my shoulder way too much. So I think finding that balance where you can say to yourself, I am not burying in my head in the sand. I know what happened today. I know how dangerous it is. Dangerous it is. I know how frightening it is. But I, I, I know how I'm going to respond with the power that I have when I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm going to put that down for the day. You know, and uh, a this is so weird. I've started to have a very positive association uh, with my phone case. Because I didn't ever <laughs> used to just turn my phone over. Yeah. Because there's that like, well, I want to be aware if uh, somebody I care about has an emergency or if there's a huge national event, I want to get that alert. And I've now I've got come to have like such a positive association of those moments where like, I have to not, in, in order to keep going, I need to disconnect for just a little while. Yeah. And just have my phone flipped over. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good and bad with the old social media. Oh, I, do, I, I meant yeah. the phone flipping over. The social media needing to be aware. Like, honestly, my little brain was getting stressed over here just thinking about how many things you're trying to be aware of and how many things when you're trying to be that aware, you just can't be aware of anything. Yeah. This might break as well, but this is another shocking thing that has given me joy mm-hmm. uh, is exercise. <laughs> like there's certainly been exercise i've enjoyed my life of going for a walk or you know when i was doing uh you know theater more like to to do a show that's really physically active was great because you don't notice that you're exercising because you're running around being a character and then you feel good what's that but yeah throughout my uh starting when i was four 14 is the first time i bought weights at home Mm -hmm. and on and off throughout my life i've had the like all right Every day I'm going to lift some weights and do some push-ups and some jumping jacks. And I always, I've never enjoyed it. I've always been proud of myself because like, ooh, I, I lifted weights every day for three months in a row. Wow. Broke my record. Uh, stopped doing it again for three years, but I'm back. Like, and I'd always be proud. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in my life. This last week I have done a puny, absurd amount of exercise, but I've stopped uh, in the middle of the day and I have stretched and I have done a tiny, pathetic amount of weightlifting and uh, jumping jacks. And I have felt joy mm. because uh, I think the risk of all these crises that we're going under is feeling like you have no agency and feeling incredibly sedentary. And mm-hmm. like, I am very well aware of all of the, yes, you need to use your body or it stops working and there's chemicals in your brain. I'm all I'm aware of that. But... This specific crisis, crises that we're living through, 
has made me respond entirely differently because how deeply I need to feel that feeling that I can physically make a choice where I feel the active, immediate impact of my choice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm, that's and fantastic. Kudos to people who've got that from exercise their entire life. I never have until now and it'll probably be gone next week so uh, i'm gonna cling to it now so enjoy it while it lasts enjoy it i'm gonna try to enjoy it while i can uh any final thoughts on our big picture topic um i mean i'm sh- i'm sure but that would be another hour-long podcast it so would. I, f- I feel like i've um kind of said all the the big picture things that i meant to say maybe yeah 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 uh, we, we tip of the iceberg, but tip you of know. the iceberg, but uh, it's something we are honestly obsessed with right now, and yeah. hopefully it is uh, helpful uh, to listeners to think through all the things that I think so many of us are, are living through. Of how do we, how do we cope? How do we make choices? How do we feel like we still have power? How do we acknowledge that we're in a really dangerous place and some really really bad things might happen? Yep, those that's true. But still, what can we do? Mm-hmm. How can we hold on to hope and try to make a difference? Yep. Uh, all right. I'm not going to do any how obsessed are you questions. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> the answer is 10 out of 10 for both of us, I think, uh, with living through history. Because we are, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will, I will say that if I was going to uh, be putting my ballot in the mail and there was a bear in front of the mailbox, uh, I, I would try to weave around the bear. For oh, sure. yes, definitely. Yeah. Me too. Super obsessed with voting. I'm just playing going to already bring a jar of honey with me. <laughs> there, there you go. Prim- <laughs> just in case. Bring honey to however you're voting. That's the thing to do. <laughs> uh, here's some uh, final plugs and then we'll wrap up the show. Where can people find you on social media? Find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw. Excellent. And here's some uh, quick plugs for the show before our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows, uh, there's some online and stuff like that and comedy albums. You can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info for that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. Uh, I've been talking about Vote Forward. That organization's website is the word vote, then fwd.org. Uh, if you're interested in writing some letters, you can sign up uh, there. Also, that uh, article that I mentioned, uh, th- so these Wargamers uh, did this, and it got covered by many uh, news outlets, but the article that I feel like breaks it down in the way that I needed to hear it is on Vox. Mm-hmm. So if you want to find that, uh, you can just Google Vox, and the title of the article is How to Avert a Post-Election Nightmare. <laughs> So put those Googles together <laughs> if you want to read that. Here are our final questions. If you could bring one fictional character into our reality to help us right now, who would it be? Oh, my gosh. Super easy question, right? Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, we need so many different people. Um, goodness. Oh, my gosh. I just can't think of anybody. And uh, and at the same time, I'm thinking of so, so many. Um Okay, this is a weird one. Okay, I'm ready. Um, I'm bringing I'm bringing it up because you brought it up yesterday. Um, so there's a kids book. Okay, <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> Called I Am a Bunny, best book ever, uh, and it's all about Nicholas the Rabbit. 
Um, How and, do you think? Oh, go, I'm sorry. And go I'm going to bring Nicholas. <laughs> you, okay, I, and I'm going to ask my follow up question. How is Nicholas the bunny going to help? Um, we're we're all gonna uh, see. Here's the thing: is actually it came up yesterday, and I said that Nicholas was a horrible choice for exactly <laughs> this scenario. We were both stressed, and I was just I was <laughs> desperately uh, reaching for some levity, and I think I just turned to you and it's like, when. Uh, wouldn't it be great if Nicholas the Bunny was real? Like, I was just <laughs> trying to think of anything joyful to talk about. Like, and I was like, yeah, and he'd be horrible right now because he'll just sleep in the trunk of his tree for half the year. <laughs> but if he so, inspires people. I mean, he does also chase after butterflies and hides under a toadstool when it's raining and the other creatures around him. Like, he's a very inclusive <laughs> bunny, I feel. So I feel like he would bring his inclusivity and maybe a spot of joy. Spot of joy. Hope. Do you think hope. Nicholas hope, the Bunny would joy. bring hope? Yes. Because we would all be hoping that someday we could all sleep in our own shelters also. Yeah. But also very inclusive. Very, very inclusive, Nicholas the Bunny. <laughs> I think that I think that's a fabulous answer. It's a great answer. Uh, if uh, we could go anywhere in the world right now without fear of spreading the vi- virus, where would you want to go? I really, really want to go for a nice long walk on um, a not too hot coast. Hmm. So, um, you know, we're just uh, watching a documentary about Scotland. So I'd like to go hiking on the Scottish coast somewhere. Nice. Really like that. That's beautiful. I want to have a martini at Musso and Frank's. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds really nice, too. A different kind of beautiful. I want to have that martini sitting next to Nicholas the bunny. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine he just keeps saying, I am a bunny. Like, I know Nicholas. Uh Uh, Final question uh, of every episode of Obsessed is, what is happiness? (laughs) Right? An easy one, given the context of this episode. Um, happiness is finding the, the arc that works for you, that gets you through the day, um, keeping some sense of positivity or hope and forward momentum, trying to make the world a better place for you and the people around you. Yeah. Well, I think that's, uh, just about textbook. That's, that's (laughs) a great, great answer. So that is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So who would your fictional character be? Yeah, I I spent too much time thinking about this. Uh, I'm just going to go to my knee-jerk answer, which is for a reason. And it is uh, Padme Amidala uh, (laughs) from Star Wars. Uh, I know people have many, many strong opinions about uh, Padme. And I don't, I don't, we can disagree about those because that's just an opinion about a character. (laughs) (laughs) And that's fine with me to have different opinions. But uh, Padme, uh, if you really watch the movies closely and in particular watch the Clone Wars animated series, uh, Padme is the holder of all all of these deep political ideas there are whole episodes of the clone wars animated series where all she is doing is like trying to see through a fog of propaganda and bs and uh, discover why different people are actually upset and talk to them or bring food to refugees or make sure that banks don't have too much power and squash the little people so like she is this character who is she is the moral compass of Star Wars. And, and if you really drill down, there's even specific moments where like 
the Jedi are making a mistake because they're being too rigid or too inactive, and Padme's always the one in the corner whose lines kind of get ignored, which makes a shocking amount of sense, sadly, who says, like, uh, actually, I really think we should do this, or yes, that is bad, and we should acknowledge it. However, let's continue, like, if you really, really watch uh, deeply uh, and pay attention to her, she is uh, this uh, uh, incredibly skilled politician and civic leader who has lived through <laughs> the destruction of a government from the inside, and I think she'd be real, real helpful right now. Yeah, that's a great answer. <laughs> 